Well, I'm with Nick Munro. As Nick, I suppose you're getting towards the end of your playing career. You're now 40, so I've got a ranking not far outside the top 100 in doubles. How do you view the end of something that has pretty much dominated your whole life and, and the move in towards something else, in your case, uh, media work? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, no, I, you know what, being 40 years old and, as you said, just outside the top 100, I mean, I, I'm still enjoying training. I enjoy competing, um, still training two, three hours a day and, and want to keep pushing to get the ranking back in, into the top 100. And, and obviously, it's been fun getting into the media career as well. Um, started with Tennis Channel about a year and a half ago, um, you know, kind of came kind of came out of nowhere through through the pandemic uh when COVID first hit you know Andy Roddick had contacted me and and said something might be available and that's kind of how it all started with Tennis Channel which was which was pretty cool and uh you know and, and when I first started I mean I had no experience and never commentated before but um you know that that's something that they that they liked and said look you know we we want you you know I said look I want to keep playing and they said absolutely keep playing and uh you know that's what we want you to bring to the commentary so anyways it's been great doing that and and, and through Tennis Channel it was like to now doing BBC and some different things in Australia at Australian Open. And, uh, you know, I started when I was four years old, so it's a, it's a game that, that, I, that I know pretty well. I mean, I'm 40 now, so playing for 36 years. And, and also in, in tennis, I'm, I was never and still never a player with a big serve or a big forehand or, uh, you know, a big strength that blows anyone off the court. So I've had to kind of use X's and O's to find a way to, to get around players in singles and in doubles and, and to be able to use all the shots. So when I'm watching matches and doing commentary there's so many things that i'm seeing happening in a court on on the court um that i'm trying to relay to the audience we'll come back to your commentary in a minute but you talk about playing for 36 years of your 40-year life i mean for most people they're in professions where they might hope to peak around 50 55 60 what you've been doing you've been doing since you were since you first had a memory and yet you get to what the midpoint in your life if take average expectancy and you've sort of achieved that you've got to move on to something else it's a totally different mindset is it a bit frightening uh yeah yes and no i mean I, again but it's still being able to stay in the sport that i love right um i still again still feel like i have a lot that i can give in tennis as far as still playing um uh, but by the same token I'm enjoying the other side of it with the commentary. I'm also putting together a big tournament in Austin, sorry, in San Antonio, Texas at the end of this year, November 11th through the 13th, called the All-American Cup. So I don't know if you know, or I'm sure you do, but we have 14 players in the, in the top 100, and it just so happens that seven were born on the West Coast, seven were born on the East Coast. So it's going to be similar to the Labor Cup. We're going to have the top five on the West against the top five on the East. We have Bob and Mike Bryan as captains. So Mike Bryan still lives in California. He'll be the captain for the west bob bryan lives in florida he'll be the captain for the east um so again it, you know it's already something where there's been a little bit of uh, uh bragging rights being thrown back and forth between the players um and so you know wanting to give back to tennis and showcase american tennis right now obviously because we have so many great players and young players and uh tennis has given me so much so i figured uh through commentary and through through this big tournament with the all-american cup just keep giving back do you think we sometimes put too much emphasis on age Nadal won the Australian at 35 the French at 36 Federer is still hoping to come back when he'll be virtually 42 you're very fit you keep yourself very fit do we are are we too quick to write people off as a result of the number of years they've lived 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I guess it's, uh, you know, people say it, but age is just a number. You know, it's all in your mindset, right? It's all in how hard you work. I mean, you can still work extremely hard at 40, 41, 42, but I think now a lot of players are taking care of their bodies better, more stretching, more yoga, um, hydration, sleep, the little things that matter. Um, so 100%, I think, you know, when people think, oh, well, he's 40 or 41, I, I don't think Tom Brady was lis- listening to or is listening to anyone when they talk about how old he is, right? He, he still is so focused on his career and knows that he still has a lot that he can give the sport. So, yes, I mean, age is just a number. It's all in your mindset and all in your ability and want to continue to work hard and enjoy the sport. Obviously, in tennis, I mean, I play 30 weeks a year, so I'm traveling a lot. And a lot of people are like, well, do you ever get tired of that or bored of that and it's like no I'm able to travel the world hit a ball over a net for a living like how can you how could you get tired of that and and obviously obviously at some point there there will be the day when that's not happening anymore so while you're doing it you have to enjoy the 30 weeks you're playing take it all in and uh, just really embrace the moment I mean age is a number except of course McEnroe couldn't compete now because he's too old we saw Tom Watson come within a stroke of winning the British Open golf a few years back at the age of 59 that wouldn't happen in tennis what is it that gives way as people get into their late 30s and 40s that stops them doing what say the golfers do um I I mean obviously with tennis it's it's quite a bit different right I mean it's a lot of quick twitch muscles that you have to use to get around the court whereas golf you know I love golf to death but the ball is sitting right in front of you so you're just hitting the ball and then shoot and letting it go but with tennis there's a lot of quick movements uh endurance um one of the toughest sports athletically obviously to play so I feel like when as you get older you might lose half a step here or there um you know maybe not get back fast enough for the overhead or get up to the ball quick enough on a drop shot so that's something that you start to feel with age uh but then you can find ways around that you can change your game to where okay maybe use a bit more serve and volley maybe you try to shorten points a little bit so you try to find ways to uh counteract or if there's another word for it um the ability to maybe lose that extra step have you had to adjust the way you play as you've got older to make greater use of, say, anticipation and less use of f- physical attributes? Um, well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, my dad started me when I was four years old. And, and from the very beginning, we, you know, he, we studied video in juniors, right? So he was one of the first guys who put the, the camcorder on top of the fence and he would, we would video my opponents um, with, with the camcorder and, and study it at night. So that you know just being able to go to bed at night and know kind of what my opponent was going to do beforehand obviously now we see people studying video all the time with youtube and tennis tv and whatever but back in the day and when we were doing it in 1990 it was like what what are you guys doing with the camcorder so as i've gotten older yes you continue to study video and you continue to try to understand what your opponent's going to do on the court where they like to serve on big points what their favorite return is if they like to lob at 30 all so that then your anticipation can be there as opposed to maybe you've lost a half a step but you're anticipating it faster because you've seen it on video so um again i I think that just comes down to uh just that extra work of of studying you a better player now than you were 20 years ago I would say so. I mean, obviously, I would say that I, I see the game better. Um, I I would say my singles maybe maybe isn't better than than I was uh, in college. Let's say you know in two thousand four when I graduated, uh, just because of losing that that little step. But just being able to understand the game more. And obviously, it's funny we were talking about it yesterday with Robbie Koning. Just you know through commentating, there's so many things that we see 
and when I go back on the court after four or five days of commentating, like things slow down for me on the court even more so because I've seen so much of it in the last four or five days by commentating and seeing what players like to do and what worked and what didn't work. And obviously, you know that as a player, but just to reinforce some of the things like, you know, going for drop shots when you're so far behind the baseline, the, you know, the screaming forehand winners on the run, things like that. Um, you know, just the little things that you see in commentary. But uh, but yeah, I just see the game a bit better now. It's interesting you say things slow down. You see, I'd have thought they might have speeded up in the sense that you're seeing things and yet you have less time on a court. What do you mean by slow down? Yeah, again, when you study video and you know what a player likes to do in big moments, like they like to serve down the tee on a big point, they like to hit the forehand cross court on a passing shot, then when you get on the court, it's almost like you've already played the match beforehand in your mind because you were able to sleep on it the night before, right? So you're able to sleep on it, you're able to see the patterns. So then once you get on the court, you already played the match, and it's almost like you hit that lob that you visualized the night before, and, and then here you come to the net after the lob. So that's what I mean by things slow down. I feel like if I haven't been able to do my homework, whether it was because I was on a train on the way there and just didn't have time, and now I'm going on the court and everything's happening so fast, then that's when I feel like matches feel like they're so fast because I don't know my my opponent's tendencies. So if you know your opponent's tendencies, then things can slow down for you. You can see the court better and... and uh, yeah, in a fast-paced game, you, that's what you want, things to slow down. Let's just get back to communication by way of getting into commentary. How have you had to communicate differently with the different doubles players that you've played with over the years? Not so differently. I mean, they, they, they know that they know that I'm commentating. They've, they're like, hey, are you going to commentate my match today? And But, you know, everything's the same. I mean, in the locker room, we're, as guys on the tour, we're very close. Everyone's very close. And so nothing, nothing's changed at all. You know, we'll still have the stories and talk about it, anything and everything. And so that no one's holding back information because they think I might put it on air. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if anything, uh, it's just more fun to be able to express their stories and, and uh, who they are as people on air. So getting into commentary, what do you think you can most bring from your experience on the singles but mostly the doubles court to the kind of commentary that you now do for television and radio well i I, you know it's funny you said maybe mostly the doubles court but but to be fair i feel like i bring maybe even a little bit more to the singles uh just because i am obviously around all these singles players i played doubles with francis and tommy paul and uh taylor fritz and john isner and sam query and so on the american side and some other players as well like benoit pair so i know their stories, their history, so I can bring kind of their family aspect to it, if you want to call it that. And and but also, again, I think again I have to give my dad a lot of credit because we just watched so much video at a young age, from eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. So I study the game. So I'm studying these players, watching their previous matches, being able to study it and and really just understand their game. You know, um, so. Yeah, so I bring kind of the locker room talk into it. I bring uh, the dinner talk into the commentary, and then uh, and then I study their games a lot, so I can bring bring that into it. You mentioned a few minutes ago that age is just a number, but you're playing doubles with Tommy Paul. <laughs> He's 17 years younger than you. You could be his dad. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. A lot of the Americans I've been playing with, from Francis and Tommy, are both both 24 years old, so 16 years. Uh, I'm 16 years older, but. Um, 
you know, it's funny because obviously ten, uh, singles is their main thing and they obviously know doubles is my main thing. But when we get on the court and we're warming up for matches, they want to do some of the doubles drills. They're like, Nick, show us some doubles drills or, or let's put me on top of the net and feed balls hard at me. Like they want to because they know that playing doubles improves your singles. Um, and so we saw that last year with Francis. We played a lot of doubles together. It really improved his singles ranking. And he would talk about it a lot, how he felt more comfortable moving forward, coming to the net, serving and volleying. So, um yeah, it's just a lot of fun playing with, with the younger generation. Uh, they have so much energy, and I feel like I do as well. I mean, I feel like I've got a lot of energy, and that's one of my strengths. I might not have the biggest serve or the biggest forehand, but I bring a lot of energy on the court. And I think the younger players, they love the energy I bring as well, and it just complements itself. So out of Tommy Paul and Francis Tiafo, <laughs> who's going to have the biggest um, haul of achievements at the end of their career yeah you're putting me on the spot there those are two of my two of my two of my good friends uh look i mean they're you know again they're, they're both becoming more and more professional every single day you know um, francis has wayne ferreira in his corner tommy paul's got brad stein who coached uh jim courier number one in the world and a lot of other players to the top of the game so they have the right um people in their corner um and I would say they're two of the most talented that we have at that age. You know, obviously Taylor Fritz is doing amazing things and super talented, but all these guys are just so good. And, and uh, it'll come down to just who continues to put in the work, who continues to believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just who stays focused on, on the process. You know, it's easy to, to kind of, you know, Francis talks about a lot how he had kind of, he had one year where he did really well at the Australian Open and then he didn't, like, do well the next few months. Just he got a little bit content. So I think now that the players are doing so well they need to continue to want to continue to do well as opposed to getting a little bit uh more content about what's what's going on so yeah just it's going to come down to who who continues to work hard they have the right people in their corner and uh i'm going to use a political answer (laughs) well that's fine obviously the american tennis public got spoiled in the 90s by that amazing generation of sampras agassi courier chang martin At least there's a group of young Americans coming through now, yeah. mid-20s. Yeah. To what extent do you think they need to have major success in order to give tennis a boost in America in what's a very, very crowded sporting marketplace? Well, I think they're doing it right now. I mean, as you said, Taylor Fritz, I mean, he, he's, you know, we got Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka, Sebastian Corda, such young players all in that little group between... Uh, 12 in the world to about 36 in the world. I mean, there's so many top players that are young, um, and they're all pushing each other. They're all great friends, and and I think that, yeah, I mean, we get a Grand Slam champion, you know, like a Taylor Fritz. He plays Rafa Nadal uh, next year. He beat Rafa at Indian Wells. If we can get a Grand Slam champion in the next year or so, I mean, that would be huge for American tennis, And but that's also through my tournament with All-American Cup, what I'm trying to help showcase is the American tennis and, and uh, that we've got such great individuals as far as their personality and their marketability. And, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough marketplace in the States, but, but uh, these guys are coming up quick. We're talking about communications. Do you think tennis communicates itself to the broader sporting world as well as it could? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I wish we had, I mean, obviously with, with Tennis Channel, they're covering all of the tournaments, uh, the 250s, the 500s, the 1000s, the slams, um, you know, and ESPN is covering some of, it, some of it as well. And I just wish we could get maybe even more tennis on CBS or NBC or something in the States. Um, just 
to continue to to push the sport, right? I mean, you see golf is on all the time, or all you know, all the NFL games, NBA, which they should be. But I just wish we maybe had a couple more networks that would jump in there and and help uh, promote the game. Um, you know, whether it's even if it's just one or two tournaments throughout the year. So, um, but because I think we've got great personalities. I mean, we've got Nick Kyrgios and Francis Tiafo on their on their Instagram and on their stories that are really opening up opening themselves up for for the public to know who they are you know and and uh and they're such great personalities so i think the public really need to follow the next generation of tennis players i was going to ask you about Kyrgios. i mean do we need matches like the Kyrgios sitsipas match at wimbledon to really get people interested in the the combat nature of tennis yeah i mean just you always you know nick is one of the nicest guys off the court he's one of my good buddies but you always need a bad boy in a sport right you had john McEnroe, you had dennis rodman for in the nba so and those guys their brand just continued to grow because they were different and and nick's not putting on a show this is who he is you know and and that's why um it's great for tennis i i think you know sissy boss is is also you know he's a the quieter guy in the locker room nick's going to be not the louder guy but just kind of different in his own way as far as just kind of uh you know chest out um believing in himself type thing and and i think that it's it's great for tennis to have just two different sides of the spectrum and um yeah i i think it's i think nick is unbelievable for tennis i mean if you go back to the late 70s you had nastasia and mcenroe maybe going too far at the US Open in 79. In the 80s, you had, say, Becker and Cash, who had real needle between them. Do you think that Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray have been almost too nice, too respectful to each other, and we need a little bit more needle back into tennis? Um, you know, they're, they're all such great champions. I mean, Rafa and Fed, I mean, they're two of the nicest guys in the locker room. They speak to every player. Uh, you know, I, I feel like when I, when I see Rafa and Novak in the locker room, they kind of walk right past each other and go their opposite ways in a way so no one really gets to see that uh we as players see that um and then you know obviously we're when they're on the court there's no love loss i mean they're they're out there battling and fighting and and you know sure it'd be nice if there was some words exchanged here and there because then that would just kind of create oh you know a twitter war instagram war or whatever but we kind of see as players that inner war in the locker room where they're not going to speak to each other and they're going to kind of go their opposite direction. Um, so, yeah, I, I, too nice for Federer and Novak, um, sorry, Rafa and Murray. No, but that's just who they are. And, and I think that's, that's you got to stick to who you are. But, uh, yeah, I wish there were a few words thrown around between Novak and, and Rafa or Novak and Roger because they're, they're on the opposite sides as well. Almost begs the question, should we have more cameras in locker rooms? <laughs> well, that would that would be that would be tricky. That'd be tricky. I guess we'd have to uh, put the showers in a different part of the locker room as well. <laughs> Nick, this is great fun. We'll have to wrap it up in a second, but I must just ask you about your All American Cup, your East Coast against West, Oklahoma City, where you're from. Is that east or west, or is it sufficiently in the middle for you to be neutral? Well, <laughs> if it's west of the Mississippi, we're going to say you're west coast. If it's, if it's east of the Mississippi River, we're going to say you're east coast. So that would be west coast on the on the Oklahoma City. But it's, yeah, it's right in the middle. So you're neutral, neutral. in your own neutral competition. In my own competition, exactly. <laughs> well, all the very best for that. When's that going on? So November 11th through the 13th in San Antonio, Texas. All the very best for it. Thank you very much.